Go to overcomecompulsivehoarding.co.uk slash online therapy to get 20% off your first month of cognitive behavioral therapy with weekly sessions online with a therapist in addition to worksheets, a journal, meditation and yoga videos and unlimited messaging. There's strong evidence that CBT can help people who hoard and accessing therapy online can be affordable and accessible. Find out more and get your discount at overcomecompulsivehoarding.co.uk slash online therapy. Normally being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Welcome to the Overcome Compulsive Hoarding with That Hoarder podcast. I am drowning in stuff and trying to find a way out. Listen as I explore the issues and delve deep as somebody profoundly affected by hoarding disorder. Find out more, including links to subscribe to the podcast and all of my social media at overcomecompulsivehoarding.co.uk. Finally, I am not a doctor. I am just a hoarder doing her best. So do seek professional support if and when you need it. So I am here with Dr. Jan Eppingstall, a counsellor in Melbourne, Australia, who specialises in working with people who hoard. Jan, how are you? I am excellent today. Thank you very much. Thank you for asking. So today we are talking about squalor and hoarding and how they're not just different words for the same thing. Hoarding can lead to squalor, but doesn't always. And squalor can happen without hoarding disorder being present. Squalor is a word that, despite me learning to talk so much more openly about hoarding throughout the 115 episodes of this podcast, I still struggle to say the word. It feels to me like a really judgmental word, the kind that somebody spits out and they see your home. So let's start with dispelling that idea. Jan, what is squalor, first of all? Well, it does have a judgmental ring to it. I feel like it, like it does. Um, squalid or, you know, <laughs> just the sound it just sounds yeah. terrible um neglect or poor sanitation is probably more accurate and less judgmental but it doesn't necessarily give us a picture of what that is so what actually is it well squalor or neglect is characterized by an unhygienic environment that's it it's when a home or a space is unsanitary basically so the next question is unsanitary according yeah. to whom, you know, like, well, okay. So the definition suggests that that's determined by the basic hygiene practices that would be considered acceptable in a particular culture. Like it just depends on, I mean, it's ambiguous, I know, because we all have different, yeah, different cultures have different levels of 
hygiene that are acceptable. So uh, really it's sort of the reasonable man test, you know, if the reasonable man were to go into a reasonable woman or reasonable person or human were to go into a, a home, would they think that it was, you know, unhygienic based on the standard within that kind of <laughs> that culture? That reminds me of when I spoke to Dr. Mary Dozier about animal hoarding. Yes. And that the definition isn't a certain number of animals. It's more than you can manage. Mm, exactly. So, yeah. And what and what does that mean? <laughs> How yes. do you know when, yeah. when you've got to that point? I think that is the hardest thing about it is that understanding yeah. what is unsanitary and what is. So a 2021 study called Managing Hoarder and Squalor by Andrew Gleason and colleagues said, although hoarding and squalor can at times appear similar in the home environment, they are two different, albeit sometimes overlapping conditions. Hoarding disorder is a mental illness whereas squalor describes an unsanitary living environment, which may be the end result of extreme domestic neglect or hoarding. A quarter of people with hoarding and squalor have a physical health problem that contributes to the state of their living environment, such as incontinence, immobility, or severe visual impairment. Is that a fair explanation of the difference between hoarding and squalor? Yes. Um, yes, <laughs> that it was is. a tentative. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of it, yes. I mean, hoarding is a diagnosable psychiatric disorder, and clutter is a diagnostic criteria. So the accumulation of items is usually purposeful, so for aesthetic or emotional or functional purposes. And parting with those objects is difficult due to that emotional attachment, you know, fear of forgetting, strong sense of responsibility for the welfare of the object and a desire for control. So those are the kind of um, things that we know about the thought processes in hoarding and, and the result of those thought processes being clutter. Um, homes are typically clean with, you know, less than a quarter living in unsanitary conditions from what I can gather from the research. And objects are usually kind of heterogeneous. It's a mixture of all sorts of different stuff. And self-neglect is rare uh, in, in the hoarding population. Insight, is, you know, it ranges from good to poor. So that's kind of hoarding in a nutshell. But then squalor is described, as we've said before, about a, is described as an unsanitary living environment and is not a psychiatric disorder in and of itself, right? So it's a result of like a physical disability, as the, um, as the article said. You know, it could be mobility, incontinence, et cetera, and, you know, someone just doesn't have the ability to keep the space sanitary or it could be be due to perceptual or cognitive deficits brought on by dementia or other neuropsychiatric conditions. Um, so in cases of squalor, clutter isn't present in the majority of cases, like accumulation of objects is usually not purposeful. Letting go of objects is an interesting one because sometimes it sort of ranges from ambivalent to difficult, but it doesn't tend to have that emotional attachment to it. Right. And they can be wide-ranging, but they often include, you know, empty packaging, rubbish, rotten food, things that are just really just haven't been dealt with. 
and that self-neglect is common. Insight can be poor to none in some cases uh, and it often starts like suddenly. Right. It can, like it can start, you know, maybe a, a quiet brain injury, a, a traumatic brain injury, a dementia, that sort of thing. So it kind of comes on, it, it may come on slowly, but hoarding tends to kind of begin in the, you know, childhood, adolescence, people recognise their hoarding tendencies and then they become more severe over decades on average. But with squalor, it's, it, it tends to be more of a, a sudden onset. So we're going to talk first about squalor without hoarding or without hoarding disorder. Um, mm. So you've gone into that a little already, but what are some of the circumstances where squalor can occur without hoarding disorder? Yeah, so the physical disabilities or illness, like we, we mentioned, frontal executive function damage from like a a traumatic injury or an acquired brain injury, neuropsychiatric disorders, dementia, schizophrenia, psychotic disorders, alcohol, drug use. Um, in some cases, personality disorders can lead to squalid environments. Paranoid or obsessive features can um, can bring that on. And also OCD and contamination fears because, you know, someone might have that... Um, I've had instances where clients that they're worried about objects that have say touched other objects that contaminate them, which means they then can't touch either of those objects, and it means that yeah that that therefore they're kind of stuck. They can't do anything with they can't touch anything again. So so that means that it can just build. Um, it can it can build up. Uh, so it's really it's really more about either a physical inability to do something or the frontal lobe, prefrontal cortex not kind of working in, in, in the same way as a neurotypical person. I've also heard of situations with adults with learning disabilities, which is also known as intellectual disabilities, if they don't have enough support in the community just not managing and yeah exactly exactly and it's that um it's that you know idea that it takes quite a bit of um cognitive energy to sort of understand about how things you know how things can can um you know how those sorts of things can cause problems in a home when things are unsanitary so yeah that and not having that support is is the hardest hardest thing to to see because you really know it's not it's somebody who could be living a really full life but is not being able to do that exactly and that's the that's the hardest that's the hardest thing to kind of um yeah to come across it's like oh gosh no all they need is someone to really be coming in and helping them keep things keep things hygienic and they just haven't got that support so Andrew Gleason, who did that previous study, also did some research into squalor in people with a history of alcohol misuse. And mm. his findings look to me like they show a really clear example of situations where squalor can exist without that kind of unusual attachment to possessions or 
chronic acquiring. Now, I sent you that study and I will link to it in the show notes. Can Mm. you speak a bit about what might be going on in cases like that? Yeah. So when you think about being under the influence of alcohol or any other kind of mind altering substances, it directly impacts our ability to make rational decisions and control our impulses, right? So I don't know, I have. Have you woken up after a big night and you've got the half-eaten pizza and on the floor and the cat eating a slice? Um, you know, if a person's misusing alcohol on a regular, you know, on the regular, like pesky everyday kind of chores, aren't top of mind. Like you're just not thinking clearly. Taking out the trash isn't really a priority. Um, usually finding, you know, the next pub to go to or the next party or whatever is is top of mind. So so that's kind of what hap- is what happen is what's happening when you're in a state of inebriation and then you recover the next day. But what happens when we abuse substances for a long period of time? We can do damage to the prefrontal cortex. Uh, if you remember from our last podcast, uh, where we talked about executive functions. This is where the command centre for our cognitive skills resides. So long-term misuse of alcohol or other addictive substances can actually cause acquired brain uh, ABIs and it may cause a person to kind of neglect their personal hygiene, their environmental hygiene. So it is really about that decision-making command centre of the brain being impaired through um, alcohol or, or, or drug abuse. Many years ago, I knew a guy who was addicted to heroin. And every waking minute of his life was either using heroin, going to get heroin, or getting the money to go and get heroin. <laughs> So if he wasn't stealing something from a shop, he was going to his dealer. And if he wasn't going to his dealer, he was using. And he didn't live in squalor because he sold everything to fund um, his addiction. But I can see with when any addiction is that entrenched, that is your focus. That is what you put your energy towards. Mm, exactly. And it just, it's everything else is irrelevant. <laughs> everything else just becomes irrelevant. And that is, that's also, um, that's also a really hard one because a person really has to, yeah, take the steps in order to, to get off those sorts of substances. And being a, you know, being a bystander, seeing that happening is really upsetting. It is. He, he taught me in very um, earnestly exactly how to steal a television <laughs> from a shop. Oh, well, well, that's important to know. You it know, is. should you ever need to uh, survive. So that 2021 Gleason paper also says people living in squalor may be malnourished and mortality is high. So this is really serious stuff beyond the more obvious things like isolation and fire risk, right? Yeah, so it it is definitely a serious situation. Everywhere I looked, though, on the internet, like there was information that confused Mm. reporting with squalor and it was just like frustrating I'm going well yes isolation yes fire risk yes tripping all that sort of stuff but really that's more 
a problem with hoarding, yeah. not necessarily squalor. When you've got hoarding and squalor, yes. Um, but squalor, squalor means a person is living in an extremely unhygienic environment, especially in areas where they sleep, eat, cook and bathe. So the biggest risk is really related to germs, infections, foodborne illnesses, you know, safety food, you know, safe food preparation and storage can become a big problem. Um, waste management, of course, we won't go into that, but that can be a big deal. Um, and when we eat food that hasn't been stored in optimal optimum conditions, you know, food poisoning is on the cards like that. And, you know, eating out of date food or being unable to prepare and cook food in a hygienic manner or wash your hands or all of those sorts of things. Hand washing is a huge one, you know, not having, not being able to, um, you know, wash your hands with soap and dry your hands on a clean towel, all of those sorts of things. It's just uh, a way that germs, infection, diseases spread. And we can be overzealous, <laughs> you know, we can yeah. be overzealous with, with keeping things clean, but we can also, um, you know, be underzealous. <laughs> underzealous. Is that yeah. thing? Like missing this. I don't know. I like it. I like it. The, the, the science of it, you know, we have to kind of really, yeah. because if we're constantly getting food poisoning or getting sick all the time or, um, you know, maybe we've got asthma because there's so much dust around, all that kind of stuff, um, it, it's pretty dangerous, you know, and uh, the other thing is often people who live in those environments can have quite the cast iron um, immune system, yes. but other people coming in perhaps don't. Yeah. So you never know. You know, a friend comes around with their child. That's where the day, that, that's yeah. where it extends beyond um, those sorts of fire, isolation, all those kinds of things. Yeah, yeah. I make this podcast because I think it's important. I started it as an outlet for myself, but it's become much more than that. And I hear from people all the time about how listening to me talk about my experience and interview specialists and experts is helping them. Hearing those stories makes the time and cost absolutely worth it. But if you want to help to ensure that the future of the podcast is sustainable, you can donate to help with costs. To send a one-off or recurring donation, just go to overcomecompulsivehoarding.co.uk slash donate. Thank you. So the IOCDF, which is the International OCD Foundation, has... Correct. Thank you very much. Has <laughs> a useful chart about hoarding, squalor, clutter and collecting showing for each what kinds of items might be present, how they're acquired, what the home might look like, and the impact on a person's life. And I thought it was laid out quite well to kind of mm. demonstrate that those four things aren't all the same thing. So when talking about the impact of squalor on a person's life, they say state of home may or may not cause distress depending on the individual's mental status. Other sources I read talk about people living in squalor as often not having insight into their circumstances, which of course is something we often hear about hoarders too. Can we unpick this a bit? I don't know whether, would you say it's something like 
dementia can lead to squalor, which would explain a lack of insight? Or is it more likely to be that the cases where there's less insight are when it's hoarding-related squalor or something else entirely? Mm. So the prefrontal cortex damage that can occur or that comes about from dementia or brain injury can explain squalor, of course. Um, And because hoarding can occur in other types of psychiatric disorders like autism spectrum, um, schizophrenia, it could be insight-related, right? Um, But unfortunately, lower socioeconomic households are more likely to live in unsanitary home environments for a multitude of reasons. Um, So it might not be insight. um, It might be a lack of access to education, you know, poverty, limited access to sanitation services. Um, I mean, recently I was presenting to a group of social workers in a relatively kind of remote area of Australia where many families were living in squalor. And it was, you know, my work there for the workshop was to kind of give them the understanding of what's behind the situation, but the lack of access to regular rubbish removal and lack of funds to take things to the dump was a huge part of the problem, you know, and it was tricky because they just really wanted, you know, they just really wanted a, um, a dumpster so that they could put all their rubbish in there. But in order to get the dumpster, for free, they had to allow the social worker to come in and inspect the home. And it's like, oh, okay. But it really was. It was like it cost us a fortune to take stuff to the dump. We just can't do it. And there wasn't enough regular um, rubbish removal, nor was there the collection of, like, you know, larger items or what we call here in Australia hard rubbish. You know, there wasn't those sorts of collections in these remote areas. So it can be... It's often just related to that poverty, limited access to uh, services. To solutions. Yeah, I mean, exactly. If, if if your every waking minute is firefighting, debt collectors and all of, you know, and working three jobs and all of that, you just got other things on your mind. Mm, exactly, exactly. And that's the heart. That, again, is really really difficult. Sometimes I get called into um, high-risk tenancies for for people who are living in public housing. And often that is a squalor situation because it's just not the um, not the time, the energy, the money in order to to deal with both the sanitation but also um, the excess stuff that they, you know, that, that they might really want to get rid of it. They, they have no attachment to it, but it's about that <laughs> removal of the rubbish. Um, and often they will want to try and sell things, not because they believe they're going to make their fortune out of it, uh, but because they really do need that $5 or that, you know, $10 or whatever it might be that they might get for the stuff that they've collected. You know, it's, it's, it's pretty common unfortunately. So we're moving on now to talk about when squalor occurs with hoarding disorder. So when it is a result of hoarding, do we know anything about why some people who hoard end up living in squalor and others have more manageable homes despite the psychological symptoms being the same? Mm, So it's likely, I think, uh, and this is something that um, there is a bit of a gap, there's a lot of gaps in the literature, let's face it, but it's likely that those 
with clinical hoarding behaviours that live in unsanitary environments. It's because of the severity of the hoarding. So the neglect begins when the volume of clutter makes it makes keeping keeping that space clean and sanitary kind of impossible because there's a lack of access and possibly even time because they're spending all their time churning and moving things around and feeling like they're doing something but then recognizing it's just churn. And those with more severe difficulty discarding and acquiring behaviors, you know, they, they'll accumulate more possessions in a shorter period of time. Um, and then they're unable to re- reach all the wet areas of the home to clean them, you know, bathroom, kitchen, laundry. And the more stuff we have, the more likely we are to attract rodents and insects that carry disease. Um, and then volume of stuff means eradicating the vermin is more difficult. And, you know, the other thing is the whole the shame, the shame element, you know, we're likely to feel that extreme shame um, about the clutter and we won't call anyone to fix the broken appliance or amenities and we'll just kind of make do. And that can then lead to more unsanitary conditions. So it's a co- kind of a combination of things. But um, people who live with others may kind of have help keeping spaces sanitary as well. But when people are living alone, um, plus other factors that can then tip the scales, like a physical or a mental illness comes on, you know, like um, perhaps, I don't know, you break your arm or um, your pet passes away or something like that occurs. That can then tip the scales and you're, you know, you're really not keeping up with the cleaning and, and that sort of stuff. And we can't really avoid, and I think it was mentioned in the Gleason article, we can't really avoid talking about what happens when people who hoard begin to age and have not engaged in treatment or support, you know. So usually they're able to keep their heads above water and live reasonably safely, right? Um, But then something will suddenly happen that limits their mobility, you know, or health, like a fall or a stroke, onset of dementia, and then they can't manage anymore. And often we don't know that if we're family members or if it's ourselves, we might not notice. That's that's part and parcel of, um, you know, frontal lobe dementia. You don't really recognise that it's happening. And deteriorating eyesight, you know, I mean, that adds to that inability to recognise even when areas are becoming unsanitary without glasses, you know. You can't see anything. Your memory fails to remind us when we need to clean the floors or, you know, I think I did that. I think I've already done that, you know. And, of course, that isolation due to shame um, and they may not have the support that they need as they age to keep on top of the cleaning and, you know, maintain pathways and stuff. But the hardest one, particularly when we age, is that, you know, a loss could lead to that complicated grief, deep depression, and then really hygiene is um, pushed to the back seat because you're just surviving. You're just lucky if you get up in the morning. Yeah. You're just lucky if you, you know, can find food. But we we do know that hoarding individuals that live with multiple pets are more likely to progress towards squalor, you know, due to that effort involved in feeding and man- managing the toileting and stuff of domestic animals and attracting vermin and that kind of stuff. And if you've been married for 50 years and your partner has kind of helped you keep your hoarding in check and then they die, you've got the double whammy of you've lost them and you've not got the person who's been helping you keep it in check. 
Exactly. And you're thinking everything you touch is, oh, I need to keep that because, I, I you know, yeah. it was here when he was here or she was here and I, yeah. I can't, yeah, it's just a double whammy. It really is. I mean, there is a bit of, there is, there's gaps in in the literature. We don't know much about the progression of hoarding and really longitudinal studies um, have not been conducted to see kind of what happens over time for individuals or over generations. So, you know, any philanthropists listening, funding's needed, I'm here, you know. Give her a ring. Bring it, bring on the money and we'll do it. Because I do think it is really important. There's yeah. a lot of areas of psychology, though, where we haven't really done those longitudinal yeah. studies. It, it, it's needed, though, because um, not understanding the progression means we can't, um, you know, we can't look at treatments to... You don't know where to interrupt it. No, exactly. So do worse living conditions always mean worse psychological symptoms? Is there a correlation there? Short answer is it depends. <laughs> but, yes, it does tend to kind of indicate worse psychological symptoms in most Western societies, right? So in emerging and developing economies, it may not be the case, though, Rob, because we're, you know, it's actually a really good point because some hygiene standards are not culturally universal or they're not uh, accessible even in Western economies, even yeah. in some of our, mo- our richest economies. Um, having access to this sort of stuff just may it just may not be available. So, doesn't necessarily doesn't necessarily mean there's worse psychological uh, symptoms. It could purely just be a lack of um, access to education, access to services, etc. Yeah, it's 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 tricky. It's a very tricky one. It is. So, let's talk. Diogenes syndrome. Uh, <laughs> Diogenes. Yeah, let's talk about that. <laughs> A 2015 article by Debbie Brown and Rekha Hegde said the terms hoarding and Diogenes are sometimes used interchangeably, but it is more useful to think of Diogenes as hoarding with self and environmental neglect, i.e. squalor. They also go on to say it's sometimes referred to as senile squalor syndrome, Mm. which is alliterative but doesn't have much else in its (laughs) favour. Diogenes syndrome is terminology I only come across occasionally. Is it a formal diagnosis? No, no, it is not. Clinicians kind of tend to use it, as you said, as that self-neglect and squalor or neglected environment. Doesn't, from what I know, it doesn't necessarily involve hoarding, but it's yeah, Diogenes. I mean, you, mm. <laughs> I mean, I'm happy to bow to your superior knowledge. <laughs> I suspect you agree from that answer, but it feels to me like Diogenes syndrome as a label muddies waters that are already confusing it's not very well defined and I'm not sure what it adds to the terminology we've already got is that fair no yeah not at all it's not being yeah you're not being unfair at all it's a bit messy right (laughs) I guess it's par for the course you know in this area of of psychology um but it keeps like it keeps getting weirder I I feel like the the labels keep (laughs) 
it's getting weirder. Like the ones I've heard, I mean, we've got hoarding disorder. We've got compulsive hoarding. We've got disposophobia. Yes. Which is the one I love. We've got uh, syllogomania, hoarding rubbish or hoarding with squalor, right? We've got Diogenes syndrome, named after a Greek philosopher who lived in a barrel, for God's sake. With so nothing, with no possessions. Clearly, clearly he was a minimalist, <laughs> not a hoarder. I mean, come on. Then we've got Havisham syndrome from, you know, the Dickensian book, Great Expectations. Then you've got um, Plyushkin syndrome in russia yes i love never that heard one. of that until i was researching this episode yeah it's like oh some character in a russian novel of course we've got squalor we've got neglect self-neglect environmental neglect self-neglect syndrome <laughs> messy house syndrome pack rats clutterbug blah 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 it's just oh i mean we love all these labels but i don't think I just don't think what we actually need is a more concerted effort to kind of clarify the nosology. But yes. the nosology, I can't say that word properly, nosology, um, because we really, like, that was one of the things I found when I, I did some education in the area. People are just looking for an understanding of what's underlying what they're seeing. And there's a, you know, that's all that's really important so that you can help people. But labels just for the hell of it or just to sound smart or, I don't know, or try and carve out a section of the research or whatever it is that you're looking to do, it's not helping anyone. Uh, And I do think that there needs to be more concerted effort to kind of say this is, you know, this is the three different things if that's what we're going to uh, choose to to call it, you know, hoarding on its own, uh, squalor and hoarding, and then squalor. Like it doesn't seem to be that complicated, but we're trying to make it more complicated, I think. But, yeah. Yeah, I agree. So if somebody is living in squalor due to something like physical disability or schizophrenia or substance misuse, presumably Mm. the place to start is with treating that primary problem Mm, yeah exactly I mean this is something that's got to be addressed first before the home environment is addressed it doesn't necessarily mean that it will be an easy job (laughs) and those assisting you um you know the, the you can imagine that it's it's not going to be super easy but the primary diagnosis has to be treated first in order to you know to then attack or or, or um, address or improve address. That's the word I'm looking for. <laughs> Not attack. Address address the um, the squalid situation. Yes. And when helping somebody who is living in squalor and doesn't have hoarding disorder, would you anticipate less distress at things being cleared out than you would with a more typical hoarder? Yeah, that's right. Usually the attachment isn't there. Rubbish can often be easily kind of identified. And in many cases, and I've I've worked with clients with this, it really is just a matter of offering them the physical help um, to clear out and then to come in and clean the home environment and sort of reset um, because there isn't that strong attachment there. There's always, you know, we're human. There's always attachment to some stuff. It's not 
it's very rare that you'd find someone who'd say, come and just whatever, just grab it and take it. But on average, if it's rubbish, it's rubbish. It can be taken away. So yes, it is easier in that in that way. And if somebody listening is struggling with squalor due to autism, ADHD, depression, OCD or executive dysfunction, I would first of all recommend our episodes on those as a place to start. What other advice would you have for people trying to tackle squalor without hoarding? Ask for help. Seek out a medical, you know, like seek out a mental health professional, a GP who can work with you to kind of identify what's contributing to the environmental neglect. If you're in Australia, you might be able to gain social and financial support from the National Disability Insurance Scheme. If the word disability makes you feel shame, which I've heard recently from a friend whose family member suffers from schizophrenia and won't uh, even even consider looking at uh, the NDIS, I just want you to know that we all deserve to live in a healthy environment with dignity. So consider kind of adjusting your attitude a little bit to the word um, and ask for what you you need. But you will need to seek help um, if you are struggling with squalor due to those conditions. It's not something you're going to be able to um, just will yourself out of. You'll need help. And when you answered my question earlier about whether worse living conditions automatically correlated with worse psychological symptoms, you talked about that vicious cycle where when you've got more clutter, it's just harder to clean and keep on top of things. So if somebody listening hoards and doesn't feel like they're living in squalor yet, but worries they're slipping towards it, what steps can they take? Yeah, and that's exactly, that would be my first, my first point was more stuff, more difficult to clean uh, and keep vermin free. So working on that de-hoarding process and recognising all those internal dialogues that are keeping you from discarding is a really good place to, to start. Less is easier to keep clean. Um, The other thing you can do is make hygiene a priority. So focusing on those wet areas of the home, keeping food out of the bedrooms, clean out the fridge and throw out anything that looks iffy. Today, like do it today. (laughs) You're worth more than rotting food. Um, And your health is worth more than leftovers from two weeks ago. You know, you might, that might, might be worth $2, but seriously, if you get sick from it, um, you might lose um, five days at work or, uh, you know, you might get really sick and have to go to hospital. And those cans of food that went out of date five years ago are not still good. Please believe me, they're not still good. There's always (laughs) one guy on the news who opens a can from 1914 and eats it and goes, well, it tastes a bit funny, but it's fine. And then people who hoard use that as justification to keep every can they've ever owned. It's not, it's not okay. If it started to sort of bulge a bit. Yeah. No. We deserve food that's in date. We do. All of us. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. I got salmonella when I was a student and it is not pleasant. Oh, it is not pleasant, no. And recently um, a client of mine 
um, got salmonella from meat that she'd left on the bench for, you know, many, 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 many days. Uh, and that was not fun for her, for her child, for her family, you know, and when there's a lot of clutter, it's very hard to keep things clean, you know. You've got to wash the sheets. Well, where do you wash them? All that sort of stuff, you know. Um, and make sure you have access to the shower, the basin, the toilet. Keep them clean. Toilet wipes and disinfectant spray have changed my life. I literally have changed my life. For a while, I was kind of like, oh, I'm not happy about the wastefulness of using the wipes and stuff. But if I if it can stop my family from getting sick by wiping down surface, surfaces or spraying areas, I'm doing it. <laughs> no moral judgment there. No, and please be brave and call someone if you need a plumber to fix a leak or a block toilet because the indignity of not having a working bathroom is surely worse than a few minutes of embarrassment. I'm hoping that's, you know, but making do isn't a badge of honour. You know, we're worth it. And embarrassment is just one price to pay rather than, you know, not having access to all those things. So you are worth it. Um, That's all I can say. You deserve it. And that's the case if you're listening and you already live in squalor, you're Mm. worth living in better circumstances than that. Yeah. And and there's people out there who can help you that are not going to judge. Um, They just want you to you know to have a uh, have a, a a clean healthy environment to live in full stop Jan that's really helpful and insightful as always if people want to find you online where can they do so they could uh, pop over to x <laughs> <laughs> x and instagram uh, where i my handle is at stuff underscore ology or they could pop over to Facebook um, at Stuffology Consulting. Drop me an email, jan at stuffology.com.au. If you want to sign up for my newsletter, go to my website, stuffology.com.au, and click on the button there. It's a weekly newsletter. It comes out on a Sunday with just info that I think helps people kind of understand a bit more about hoarding and, and why we do what we do. Amazing. Thank you, Jan. Thank you for having me yet again. Always a pleasure. And a pleasure to see you. May we take a moment to reflect on the meaning of place and acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which we record and listen to this podcast today. I am speaking on the lands of the Boon Wurrung people of the Kulin Nation, and I acknowledge their connection to country, both land and sea, and culture. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples listening today. If you want to help support what I'm doing, please do subscribe to the podcast. Review it. Five stars would be amazing and share it with your friends or anyone who might be interested or who might benefit from it. It all really helps. To find out more ways to support the website, the podcast, and my overall de-hoarding project, go to overcomecompulsivehoarding.co.uk slash support. 
Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. So my top tip this week is a quick one. And it is this, if you need permission to get rid of that one thing that you've been really, really unsure about, you don't know if it's the right thing to get rid of it, you want to, but you don't know if you should, my top tip is to take this as permission. You can let it go. You're not obliged to hold on to it forever. You can let it go. Okay. Thank you for listening and I will speak to you next time. Thank you for listening to the Overcome Compulsive Hoarding with That Hoarder podcast. You can find more online at overcomecompulsivehoarding.co.uk. You can find me on Twitter at That Hoarder and on Facebook at Overcome Compulsive Hoarding with That Hoarder. To find out more about how you can support the podcast and the overall project, go to overcomecompulsivehoarding.co.uk slash support and do subscribe to the podcast to make sure you don't miss any future episodes. There may be links in this podcast that earn me money. This doesn't come at any extra cost to you if you ever make a purchase through the links and it helps to support the future of the podcast. Are you ready to enhance your future in tech? Then it's time to make your move to the UK. The nation that has more tech unicorns than France, Germany and Sweden combined. The nation that was third in the world to have a $1 trillion tech sector valuation. The nation where great talent comes together. Visit gov.uk forward slash great talent to see how you can work, live and move to the UK. Getting professional support as a hoarder can make all the difference. Having somebody on your side who can help you to learn about yourself and make progress in your home is invaluable, but finding an affordable therapist can be a nightmare. Accessing therapy online gives you the option to find the right person who doesn't even have to be in the same country as you, never mind the same town or city. OnlineTherapy.com offers a weekly live session with a CBT therapist for individuals or couples. It offers unlimited messaging, worksheets, a journal, and even yoga and meditation videos to help you cope. I have a special link for you that will get you a discount at overcomecompulsivehoarding.co.uk slash online therapy. As you know, I've had CBT, and two years later, I still use the realizations I had about myself as well as the skills I learned. Listeners tell me that you've started to use some of the skills I've shared on this podcast. CBT is a therapy with a broad evidence base that is widely used for a range of mental health difficulties, including hoarding. 
onlinetherapy.com specializes in CBT. And if you're not happy with your therapist, you can change to a new one with the click of a button. And prices start at $40 a week, which if you've seen a therapist before, you'll know is incredibly cost-effective. What's more, if you use my link, you can get a whopping 20% off your first month. So sign up at overcomecompulsivehoarding.co.uk slash online therapy and get 20% off your first month with your new online CBT therapist.